Matthew chapter 20. We are cruising along at turtle speed, getting through the book of Matthew. Hopefully we will get to the end by the end of the year. About the time we will celebrate Christmas, we will be crucifying Jesus. Right? That's probably how it's going to happen because that's just his sense of humor. Hopefully not, but we'll see what happens. Matthew chapter 20, it's an interesting passage, it's very, very short, it's only uh, two verses, three verses, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 17, 18, and 19 is where we're going to be, and it's interesting because this is the third time that Jesus is going to say this. Now, I was talking to my boys while we were gone, and I just asked them a simple question of, what, what have I repeated over our, our lifetime as, as your dad that has stuck with you, that you've, you've got it, but I just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Ethan uh, shared that, um, actually I forgot what he shared, hold on, oh, here's what he said, he said, you have said over and over again that it's basically all in what you make it, things can be fun if you choose to let them be fun, and that is something that Sally and I had adopted way back when we were in Alabama with our youth group, and something that we've tried to pass on to teenagers for, for eons, just because it really is all about what you choose to make it in life. We believed when we were in Alabama that we could take our youth group, put them in a room with no windows, no nothing, no uh, activities, no things to throw around or play with, and we would figure out how to make that dull room fun because it's what they chose to do with it. And that is something that I've repeated over and over and over and it's stuck with Ethan. I talked with Eli and he said, well, what are we talking? Are we talking sports or are we talking parent? I'm like, whatever you want to share. And one of the things that I always would scream when I was coaching Eli, not at him, but scream to him, I would say, look for the open space, find the open space, get into the open space, because in soccer, that's really what you want to do. In little kids' soccer, it's blob ball. They move in a blob, just wherever they go. Well, as they get older, you've got to spread out, to spread the defense out to be able to capitalize. And that is one of the things that has stuck in his mind and the thing that he thinks about while he's playing, even though I'm not coaching him anymore. And so there's, there's something about repetitiveness that helps us in learning. If I were to say, what's the one verse that I repeat all the time in our services, what would you say? Micah 6.8. Because I believe it's one of the most important verses for us as believers, and I'm going to keep preaching that verse because it's so helpful. Do what is right, love being kind, and walk humbly with God. If you can get those three things down, you've got this thing, for the most part, figured out. You've got a good trajectory. It's what God wants for all of us. And so repetition helps us. Jesus is no different. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is very clear in what he shares and what he preaches. But then the rest of Matthew, he's exposing that sermon for the deepness that it really is. You can go back in all the sermons that we've talked about and looked at, and you can find where in the Sermon on the Mount that he's coming from. It's really, really intriguing and interesting. And yet there are times where he pulls his guys aside, and he shares with them specific information, much like what we're going to look at today. Why? Because it's important. There's nothing in this scripture that's not important. Now you may be thinking, well, what about the story where Elijah calls out a bear and eats the little kids? That's important. You don't make fun of the preacher. <laughs> Just kidding. But it's important. Everything in there is important. And today, here's what we're going to look at. Mm -hmm. Jesus said it. 
So it's important. You know, if we only had the Gospels, if we only had one Gospel, we would at least know how to live before a holy God. But God, in his sovereignty, in his wonderful care for us, gave us this wonderful book that is full of historical documents and stories and factual events that allow us to see a bigger picture of our God. And if Jesus, in his short time on this earth, in the three years that he was able to minister to all the people that he was able to minister to, if he took time to say things, guess what? We as believers, as true followers of Christ, need to listen. It's not about what you think. It's not about what you feel. It's not about even what the opinion of the world is. If Jesus said it, it's important for us to follow it. That's where you say, amen, really loud, because that's important. If we can't land on that space together, we're going to go in different directions. We all must land on the space of, if Jesus said to do it, that's what we are called to do. If the Bible calls for us to live a certain way, then that is what we are called to do from here on out. Nowhere in there does it ask or give us an option of, choose your own adventure. Choose your own opinion. How do you feel about this? God cares about your feelings, but not when it comes to truth. Truth is the truth, and that is what we are to follow from here on out. So, what we're going to look at today is something that is so important and packed full of good stuff. And Jesus said it, therefore, it's actually really important. So let's go to Matthew chapter 20, and the little three verses we're going to look at, but these three verses, they're powerful. In chapter 20 of verse 17, now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Now let me pause here. They are going up for the Passover because that's what they were supposed to do. They are heading into Jerusalem. Now Jesus knows what's coming and he pulls his guys aside out of this crowd because there was probably a large group of people traveling with them because they're going to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. It's where everybody went. And so he pulls them aside out of the crowd. Think about that. He could have had this conversation with people around him, but he intentionally picked his 12 guys and said, come over here with me. Let's take a pause. Let's take a break. Let's get away from everybody. And I've got something I want you to hear from me. That's big, by the way. Because there are many times where many of us only settle to hear from God in the church. Rather than getting alone with him to listen to the specific intentional message that he has specifically for you. We'll let that sit right there. Verse 18, behold, we are going to Jerusalem. He's setting the stage. Here's what we're doing. We're going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody pulls me aside, I'm thinking they've got a secret bit of information that they want me to be privileged to hear. You feel like that? 
they pull me aside out of the group and say, Alan, I got something to share with you. Sweet. I get to be on the up and up, and I get to know something nobody else gets to know. And maybe the disciples in the group pull out, and they stand over here with Jesus and say, this is going to be good. We've seen all these wonderful things that he's Times of interaction with Jesus and either um, 
people that he's healing or, or even his own mother where he would say, hey, don't say anything yet. It's not my time. Jesus is now revealing to his disciples saying, guys, remember how I've been saying it's not my time yet? Remember how I've been saying just be quiet about all this? It's time. It's getting ready to go down. And I've tried to tell you two other times. Here's the third time. Here's what's going to happen. I don't want you to be caught off guard. I don't want you to be unnerved by what you're going to see and experience. I need you to be prepared. There's many of you that hear from God all the time the same message. When are you going to recognize that he's trying to get your attention to follow what he's trying to tell you? He's trying to prepare you for what is to come. He's trying to get you ready for what you're getting ready to experience. And it's high time, especially in the day and age that we're living in, that we as believers start listening a little more intentionally. I think it's interesting that so many times we hear Jesus saying, and he ended chapter 19 this way, he said, the last will be first and the first will be last. We know that it's Jesus' time because from the beginning of time, he was there. He's always been there, but he became last for us. You ever thought about that? He was first. He was there when everything was created. Look at this verse. He was in the beginning with God. He is God's very spoken word. So as God is creating the earth with his word, that is Jesus in action. And then he came in the flesh to live out the words of God of how we are to live, to model for us as God's sons. He's always been around. He was in the beginning. He is the first. He's the alpha. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was also the last. He became last for us. He became that sacrificial lamb that paid the price for all sins. He took the entirety of the sin of the world on his shoulders and became last. For us. But praise God, it did not end there because on the third day when he rose again in power and victory and then he ascended into heaven, he sat down on the right hand of the Father because he has power and authority just like that. He was first, he became last, he then became first again. Love that. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth. This has always been the plan. And now it is time to carry it out. It was set forth as a propitiation. That is just a really big word for saying the substitution, the, the payment for it. By his blood, through faith. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that include works? Through faith. The works come from my faith. It's the working out of my salvation. It's the recognition of how great God is and the great things that he's done for me and that there's nothing better than him. Therefore, I want to serve him because of the great faith that I have within him. And he demonstrates his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because of what Jesus became for us. And then he took his rightful place by the throne because of our faith in that. We are justified in our faith 
in Christ. It's time. It's time that we as fellow believers start living in that. Not abusing the wonderful grace that God has given us to be able to sin and do whatever we want. But to live in such a way of great, deep appreciation of the grace that God has shown us through the purchasing of our lives. Jesus goes on and says, I'm here to fulfill the prophecy. These things that he's sharing with the disciples aren't things that he's making up. These are things that have been shared throughout Old Testament prophecy through all this time. All he's doing is bringing it to a head and saying, here's what it is. Here's what's happening. Here's what's going down right now because it's time. I'm here to fulfill the prophecy. Think about this. Jesus always refers to himself, for the most part, as the Son of Man. Eighteen times uh, in Matthew does he do that. He is recognizing his humanity, is trying to help them understand that I am a human being. I am the Son of Man. I really did come from a mom. Mary really had me. But he's also the Son of God. He is fully God and fully man. Now, we can't, for the most part, conceptualize that. Just believe me when I say it. Fully man, he felt everything. He was tempted just like we were tempted. But he was fully God, able to do the things that no man can do. Jesus, on three different occasions before we get to this passage, recognizes himself as the Son of Man. He does it privately first because a scribe comes to him and begins talking to him. And he says, listen, the Son of Man is going to do this. And he tells a scribe this then in a public setting he says it out loud remember the man that was let down through the roof as he's being healed and jesus says hey this is for the son of man to do and then quietly with his disciples he asks him who do men say that the son of man which is me am it's not that he's trying to deny or hide his humanity he's recognizing and acknowledging that i'm a human being i'm here to do a job i'm here to fulfill the prophecy that has already been told i am here to do what my father has called me to do and look at what he is fulfilling betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes these are the men who should know the scripture better than anybody and they do The problem is they miss the application of it. It's all about the knowledge and the doing rather than letting it take root in their heart and to uh, allow the doing to come out of what is inside of them. They're too busy marching around with their nice suits and ties and whatever else they were wearing and speaking in eloquent language and speaking truth, which is fine, but if you're not loving people the way they need to be loved, if you're not meeting the needs of the poor, if you're not being like God, then what is this all about? We're to be like Jesus. We are to love the way that he loves. We are to live the way that he lives. We are to do the way that he did. And he is going to be betrayed to the very people who should have acknowledged him first and foremost. But then these men are going to turn him over to be condemned to death. They did not have the power to kill him. They were not allowed. But they did have the power to condemn him to death and to turn him over to those who could, which would be the Gentiles or the Romans. And boy, did they work him over. 
They tried to get a confession out of him. They tried to appease the masses who wanted to crucify him. And they basically beat him almost to death. It was very rare that anyone could take the beating that Jesus took. Most of the time, they didn't even make it to the crucifixion. It ended at the scourging. And Jesus lasted all the way through. Lasted all the way up the road to Golgotha. Lasted as they nailed him to the tree. Lasted as they hoisted him up. And lasted for hours as he bled and was in pain and agony. For you and for me and for anyone else who will believe. That's what he did. That's what he's trying to convince the disciples of. It's time. It's time for me to fulfill this awful prophecy that I'm going to have to endure. And I'm ready to go. When's the last time that you heard from God and he's asked you to do something that you did not want to do because you were afraid of embarrassment or a little bit of ridicule or maybe get mocked a little bit and you just didn't do it? Jesus pulls his men aside in this probably wonderful traveling group who were happy to go to Jerusalem to, to experience the feast of the Passover. They were ready to celebrate. It was probably a joyous time. And he pulls his men aside and he drops this bomb on them. And you know what he does? In both Mark and Luke it tells us he turns around and keeps going. He doesn't lament. He doesn't say, poor, poor me. He doesn't say, please come around me and console me. He says, hey guys, it's time Here's the prophecy. Here's what's going to happen. I'll be back three days after. Let's go back and celebrate. I don't know about you, but when I get a bad report or something that's not going the way that I hoped that it would, I don't really do that very well. I like to mope. I like to be loved on by my wife. I like to get a little sympathy sometimes. And I know I'm not the only one. Jesus is going to die. There's no getting around it. And it's going to be a brutal death. Very physical, emotionally taxing death. And he just throws it out there nonchalantly like, here's what's going to happen. And I'll be back. Let's go. That's the Savior that you claim you're serving. How are you honoring him? Is the way that you're living honoring that? Or are you discrediting it and turning people away because you're riding the fence and trying to do both sides? Only the Son of God could speak in the confident manner in which he spoke. The Son of Man he was, but he was also the Son of God, which gave him the confidence to say, I can do this. By the way, in your flesh... You can talk about all those things that you say, yeah, I can do it. But in your spirit, if God lives within you, you actually can go through whatever life brings you. No matter how hard it looks, no matter how dark the other side is, no matter how unknown the unknown really is, in your flesh, it will be tough to accept. But in the spirit of God, you can walk confidently. Why? Because Jesus already did it. He already knows what that feels like. And you can take him by his hand and walk confidently with him without even knowing what's coming.
Do you know that the demons acknowledged him as the son of God? If we were to go back in chapter 8, verse 29, we already looked at that passage months ago. But they acknowledge him, not as the son of man. Soon as he walks up, they say, okay, son of God, what do you want from us? They know him. Peter, when he was asked the question, he says, you're the son of God. No longer are we looking at you as the son of man. You are the son of God. We know that there's something different about you. And then after he dies, when all goes nuts, the centurion, a Roman, looks at him and says, surely this was the son of God. Jesus doesn't need to tell people who he is. They will already know by how he interacts with them. But here's the trick. Will they know that he is the son of God by how you interact with them? Jesus tells us very clearly that they will know we are his disciples by how we have love for who? One another. By how we have love for one another. By how we have love for those that may not be in the same color group as us. For those that may not be in the same socioeconomic status as us. For those that may live in a different country or have a different job or maybe have a different mental scale. They will know that we are his disciples by how we have love for one another. Don't let it be named in Townsend Church that we are looking at anything other than a person's heart. The world can do what the world does, but we can make an impact right here in what we do. Not in this building, but outside of here. And then Jesus leads with confidence. I think for me, this is the biggest thing that has always helped me, is I know that if I'm following him, I'm good. When in Scripture, in any of the Gospels, do we ever find Jesus leading wrongly? Or misinformed? Or in a direction that wasn't appropriate? If you can find one, please come tell me because I'll be happy to look at it. But you're going to waste your time. Jesus always led confidently. God always led confidently. All through the Old Testament, he led confidently. Which tells me that even in my, in my lack of confidence of myself, I can have confidence in him and follow him all the way to the other side. But the question I have to ask you is we can amend that and we can say, yeah, I, I think I believe that or yeah, I believe that. But are you living in full trust of what God is doing in and around you? Talk is cheap to me. Words are empty. Actions speak so much louder than our words. And when we face hard things that we don't know what's on the other side, are we walking confidently in God because he's already there? That is what he's calling us to do. Jesus is not trying to disturb these men. He's not trying to disrupt their fun and, and happiness about going to the feast of the Passover. All he's doing is saying, hey, pay attention. It, it's time. Remember those things. This is the third time I'm telling you. Last time it's going to come up because it's time. But I want you to know I'm going to walk through this confidently and you can follow me because I am the son of God. I love that. Mark and Luke share their confusion. But I want to point out again, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, they still followed. 
they steal. In spite of the information that they were just given for the third time, they still followed him to it. We as believers need to stop living fearful lives. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind and of power and wisdom. That's the spirit that lives within us. It's not a spirit of fear. If it is a spirit of fear, you need to rebuke it and get it out. It's not to be a part of you. Because the spirit of God who lives within you will empower you to face, to endure, to finish strong whatever he lies in front of us. That is the God we serve. That is the spirit that lives within you. And Jesus takes them aside to prepare them. Now I know this is kind of back in the middle at the beginning of this. But I wanted to leave it at the last point because I think it's so important. He takes his disciples, the ones that he is pouring into, the ones that have committed all to him, and he pulls them aside to specifically speak to each of them and to help them understand what's going on. And he's saying, this is the third time. It's very important. It's very important that what Jesus is saying is important. It's important that we listen. In fact, Peter had already acknowledged this in John chapter 6, verse 68. He says, where are we going to go? There's nowhere else for us to go. You have the words of life. There are a thousand other places you could have went this morning. Maybe even more than that. You could have been doing numerous other things. But my hope is that you came here because Jesus has the word of life that we're all looking for. You are wanting to hear from God. It's not about listening to me or singing the songs. It is about feeling the presence of God and being in that moment and hearing directly from Him. Did you know that your God can speak to you? Not only can He speak to you, He wants to speak to you. The question is, are you willing to listen? Not just hear it. I hear a lot of things. But the things that I listen to are the things that stick with me. Are you listening for his voice? Are you listening for him to jump out of these pages, out of these words that are alive, and to speak directly to your heart, directly to your mind, directly to your life, and then create some confusion? Because your life, your flesh wants to go one way, the spirit is calling you in another way, this, I know what's going to happen. This, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where God's going to take me. So, I don't know if I want to go that way. Because I don't know what he's going to do. Come on! You get in your car and you drive out on 13. You have no idea what's going to happen from here until you're home. Don't play that game anymore. We play it all day. It is time for us as believers to rise up and get serious about this thing. Because truthfully... There's nothing that's better than Jesus. Nothing. Being alone with God is vital for us to hear him clearly. Jesus, in this mass of people that are walking, I'm sure it was loud. Maybe they were singing. Maybe they were arguing like most people do before they go somewhere religious. Right? But he pulls them aside. He pulls them aside. Why? Because he wants to make sure that he has their undivided attention and that he hears, or that they hear him. 
And there are many times where God is calling us, but because of where we are, because of what we're doing, because of the distractions of our lives, we miss it because we're not listening for it. It is vital, capital V, underscore, exclamation point, boldface print, vital that we spend time with God or else you won't hear from him. Many of us wonder why I'm not hearing from him. Could be a reason for that. I love this passage. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. It's hard for me to be still in front of a bunch of people. You notice I don't stand still while I'm preaching. It's hard for me to sit still when I'm by myself. But when I'm with God, it's not me being physically still, but mentally still. And in my spirit, just kind of honing in and being still within him. But I want you to understand the trick with this passage. This is verse 10. I want to show you what's above verse 10. Because it's a lot of chaos. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Does that sound like a peaceful time right there? That is ultimate chaos. Think about it. The the earth may be removed. The mountains are carried into the midst of the sea. The waters are roaring. And the mountains shake with its swelling. But we need to understand God is our refuge and our strength. And in trouble, he is a very present help. Meaning right here, right now. And then the psalmist lists all these chaotic, crazy things that are going on. And then he comes right back and he says, be still. Many of you are living very chaotic lives right now. Not on your own doing. Things that have piled onto you that you didn't know were coming, that you are so caught off guard. And you are living in in such a noisy atmosphere right now that you can't hear anything. And God is saying, I'm right here. One of my favorite stories is Elijah when he goes into the cave and God passes in front. And he passes by with like a fireball and big winds and and all kinds of other things. And then really quietly, he passes by behind all of that. You've got to block out the noise to hear the still, small voice of your Savior calling. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of distractions out there. We just went through a year and a half of a lot of noise. We're still going through a lot of noise and a lot of conspiracies and a lot of crazy and a lot of who knows what else. Here's my suggestion and it's strong suggestion today. Be still in your heart and know that your God is a God of refuge. He is a God of strength. He is a God of power. He is a God of confidence. And he will lead you into the areas of the unknown that scare the life out of you. And what is scared out of you, let it be refilled with him. Because he is the one who knows what is best. And then lastly, he wants to intentionally clarify his message with each of us as he leads us. You know, there are some times where I've made decisions in my life where I know that 
partially this is the direction that he wanted me to go. I could not have full confirmation until I made the decision, and that's when the clarity came. There are plenty of times where I think back like on Abraham, when Abraham was said, hey, leave your, your household and just go and keep walking. I'll let you know when, I, when you get there. And what did Abraham do? Did he know where he was heading? No, he had no idea. And yet he packed up his stuff and he took off. He only knew part of the plan and he trusted God and God gave clarification as he went. Please don't wait till you have all the information because you probably won't get it. It's a step at a time. But God wants to spend time with us and clarify the message with us intentionally. Philippians 2, 12-13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. But no, I, I prayed the prayer. It's all good. I'm good. No, 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 no. Yes, you are. And no, you're not. Yes, it's the start. But now you've got some things to work out. You've got some cavities and stuff in your life that you've got to get fixed. And so there's work involved in this salvation it doesn't bring you salvation because salvation has already been given. But we are being sanctified. We're being cleaned up. We're being polished to where we can represent Christ fully. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is who? Say it with me. God. Say it again. For it is God who works in, bo in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's God that's going to do this. It's his spirit that lives within you. And if you're living in a noisy world, you're not going to hear it, feel it, or see it. It is important, it is vital that we steal away and get quiet with him to hear what he has for us. Hearing things over and over is one way we learn. Sports, music, facts, movies, people, etc. Think about it. How many times do you have to drive somewhere before you just know where you're going? Not very many times, because that's how we learn. So help me understand. You think you can read one time, one passage, or one verse, and you just got it? You would listen to a song that is awful more and more and more until you got it all memorized. You watch TV shows so much, you know what's going to happen before the person sitting beside you knows what's happened, because you've already seen it ten times. But if I were to ask you, hey, what's uh, John chapter 21, verse 2? You wouldn't have a clue. Because we don't spend time on it. We don't know what it is. If we want to know and to hear and to understand God, we've got to get alone with him and spend time with him. I'm not asking you to spend 30, 40, 60, an hour and a half. I'm asking you just five minutes. This is a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. He could speak to you in 30 seconds if he wanted to. But give him your undivided attention. He's waiting. He wants to pull us aside. He wants us to take the initiative and say, hey, I, I need to spend some time to you, with you today. God's word must, must must be a regular occurrence in our lives in order to learn it. Many of you are like, well, I, I just can't understand it. Keep trying. Keep trying. 
ask him, God, I'm going to read this passage that I've read for 30 years and I still can't get it. Will you help me understand it? And keep reading it and keep praying it until he just unleashes on you. He wants to know how serious you are. This isn't something he's trying to hide from us, folks. He's kept this book around for a reason for so long. Like, he's preserved it from the beginning. It's time for us as Townsend Church to dive in and let's see what he's got. Don't wait for me to break it for you. I will, only on Sundays. But you've got six other days in the week. Now, if you want me to come to your house every day, you've got to talk to my wife. But by golly, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But it's not for me to do for you. It's for you to do between you and God. Jesus said all that in those three little verses. That's what he's trying to help us understand today. He said it, and it's important.